Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We've been working for now five or six weeks uh, through a portion of Paul's letter. Uh, this will be the second to last of our time in, in this letter. And this morning we're looking at verses 6 and 7 of Colossians chapter 2. And the word of God reads, beginning in verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. And as we come together uh, this Sunday morning, we set out with our eyes looking forward to a new week. And for those who are in Christ, those who are Christians, the week that is before us is the great week of Holy Week, a, great of, uh, a week of great significance to Christians. Yet we also know that while our gaze looks with great expectation to celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus with upcoming Easter activities, we know that this comes on the heels of another week whose events have given cause for the flags that fly around our nation to fly at half-staff once more. This time a Christian school was attacked and seven lives were ended. And while the facts that rise to the surface will never justify the violence, We're reminded once more of what evil a life absent the rule and reign of Jesus Christ can carry out. I would not expect that much, that I wouldn't expect that we'll learn much more than's already been shared by the news, but I believe it's reasonable to conclude that the shooter at the Covenant School in Nashville did such evil because she was attempting to deal with the guilt and shame that had been brought about by her life's choices. And we're told that the shooter identified as transgender, which at its root is the belief in the lie that you are your truest and freest self when you identify as a gender that is different than what God assigned you at birth. Of course, you can only believe that if you buy into the idea that God is not real. That's the logical conclusion of this if you work this out. And as a consequence of pretending that this world is not one that's been ordered and created and governed and ruled by the Lord, well, you can do whatever you please without any sense of guilt or shame. That's the lie. And for this lost soul in Nashville, if she were asked the question, Hey, who are you? Who are you? I suspect that she likely would have answered first on the basis of whatever gender she decided she was going to be the day that you asked. And there are many ways, by the way, that someone might answer the question, who are you? Others might answer the question on the basis of their appearance. I'm tall, I'm short, I'm fat, I'm thin, whatever, right? They might answer it on the basis of their nationality. I'm American, I'm German, I'm Chinese. They may answer it on the basis of their race. But I want to turn the tables for a moment. I want to ask, how do you answer the question that you will be faced with if you have not already many times in your life? How do you answer the internal question, who am I? 
Who am I? And ultimately, I'm asking the question, where do you find your identity? Now, I'll tell you, I've posed that question to you differently than how it would have been posed in the first century. See, for these people then to whom Paul writes, there wasn't this sense of non-religious influences vying for the commitments like the dreadful lies of, the, of our age, like atheism or secularism. There would not have been a debate about the existence of God during the time of these Colossians, but rather there would have been a healthy debate about which God among all the religions of the world was superior to the rest. And for these brothers and sisters in Colossae, no sooner had they begun to walk in their new faith than teachers of the Jewish law had begun to infiltrate the congregation. These teachers of the law were coming in and they were telling these new believers, you know, Jesus, he wasn't really God. Or they would have said things like, Jesus was a really great teacher, but don't you go believing he was raised from the dead. In a sense, what they were communicating is something to the effect of, you know, you Christians, you've wrapped yourself up in a lie. That's what they would have been saying. Why don't, they would then say, why don't you come find yourself wrapped up in the law of God given through Moses? And it's with this in mind that we now turn our attention to the beginning of, of verse 6, which I read, that I'll read again. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. And as we begin to make sense of this, I want to share with you a very helpful tool when it comes to the reading of Scripture. It's that when you come across the word, therefore, you ought to ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? We know that therefore is a word used to transition to a new thought, but in, in transitioning, it does not transition by abandoning what preceded it. It transitions the thought in the same way that a, a home builder begins to frame the walls after a home's foundation has been poured. I mean, just imagine trying to, to frame the studs of a wall and there's no foundation to, to, uh, to fasten the studs to. The thing wouldn't hold up. And so Paul is bringing what he's written before into frame. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. And if we read this verse just by itself, we would be right to ask, well, who is Christ Jesus? Or maybe a question like, what Christ Jesus are we talking about? But thankfully, we don't have to ponder that for long. And in seeking to address any uncertainty about who it is that Paul is writing about, we can confidently know that it is the Christ Jesus who was written of in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. It is the Christ Jesus who is God's image, who is God's wisdom, who is God's mystery. And it is this Christ Jesus who Paul has labored and struggled to share with these Colossians and many others. And he's done so seeking to put to bed any doubt that the Christ Jesus that they have received well, he is the Messiah of God that the law of Moses foreshadowed. He is the Messiah that was anticipated. It is this Christ Jesus that they've received. Moreover, this Christ is none other than the crucified and risen Jesus who is now exalted as king. We've got to ask, what does it mean to receive Christ? What does it mean to receive Christ? What do you think it means to receive Christ? How would you begin to answer that? 
Well, if I conducted a survey by passing out a little white slip and a pencil for you to fill out and to leave your answers at the back of the auditorium on your way out, I would venture to guess that many of the responses would be based on some variation of the idea of a new believer inviting Jesus to enter into his or her heart and life. Now, I'll tell you, that's a powerful and moving idea that is rooted in the language where Christ dwells in your hearts through faith. But if we answered the question about what it means to receive Christ in that way, we'd be thinking too much about the work of the Spirit to give us faith if we try to put receiving Christ Jesus in those terms. And that's not the full sense of what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about Jesus bringing you into his promise. He's talking about the sign that you're living the Christian life. He's talking about the sign that Jesus Christ is your king. Can you begin to guess what the sign of the Christian life is? It's baptism. It's baptism. Baptism is the indication. It is the sign that you are setting out to live the Christian life. It was common in this day and age for people who were new to the faith to declare publicly before others and by the way this was against the law to do because the law of the land said that caesar the emperor of rome was savior and lord of all no a new christian convert would declare jesus christ is lord and they would be subsequently baptized and these colossians had accepting accepted the preaching that jesus is king confessing that they believe Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died for their sin, that Jesus was raised on the third day from the dead. And all of this was received when they took their stand of faith and submitted to baptism. My friend, have you received Christ Jesus on these terms? I'm not asking if you've invited Jesus into your heart. I'm not asking that at all. I'm asking, have you come for baptism? Have you been fully immersed in the baptismal waters as a believer, as the sign that your life is wrapped up in Christ Jesus? I know many of you in this room have done so. And yet I know many more of you are just approaching what Christ has done for you, I would say, quite selfishly if you actually believe the tenets of the gospel at all. There's this idea out there in the, in the world that faith is just a private thing, something that's best kept to yourself. It's a lie that's, that's come about of what I will call the bubble wrap society that we live in that has fallen to Satan's lie. You ever seen the movie Little Giants? I've been, I guess, replaying the last two weeks of children's movies that I've seen. You ever seen the movie The Little Giants where this little fragile kid is all wrapped up in bubble wrap by his mother and his mother's attempt to protect him from the viciousness of the game of football? Well, Satan has convinced generations of Christians that they can keep their faith private. In other words, that they can be cowards covered in bubble wrap and yet still washed in the blood of the Lamb. My friend, if that's you, someone who's been straddling the fence of faith, You don't keep much about the rest of your life private, do you? Think about it. 
The public can know your name. They can, they can know your occupation. They can know your marital status. They can know what types of vehicles you drive. They can know where you live. They can know who you're going to vote for by the sign you put in your front yard. The public even knows when your home is empty, when you're posting pictures from your vacation destination while you're still there. But your faith, And no, my mic didn't go out, okay? I scared the sound guys at the early service when I did that, I found out. That's, what we, that's how we approach faith, right? We've been told at the dinner table, don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics, keep it to yourself. And if that's you this morning, if you actually believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died as a substitute for your sin, that he was raised from the dead on the third day, and that he is king of all? My friend, that salvation that you're expecting to claim when you stand before the Almighty in judgment is based on the very public works of Jesus Christ. Now, I am not saying that baptism is when salvation is given by God, but I am saying that Christ calls us to follow him in every way. I mean, imagine if Jesus said, "For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to be came not to be served, but to serve, and to bubble wrap his life only privately and inwardly as a ransom for many." That doesn't have quite the same force as when we come across the words of Jesus, who says, "For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it." Thank God he, that Jesus wasn't bubble-wrapped when he went to a cross. Get off the fence, my friends. Receive Christ Jesus in the way that Jesus has ordered things to be. Jesus didn't have a sprinkling as a baby in mind. Neither did he have a faith whose finish line was a prayer lifted from the safety of your bedside. He had in mind your very public declaration that your life belongs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Leave the comfort of Satan's lies. And if you've received this Christ, Christ, if you've been fully immersed in baptism as a believer, you've received all the riches that are life in and with Christ Jesus. That's what Swayze's done this morning. It's what I did 20 years ago. And Paul tells these Colossians first, and now he's telling thousands of years of Christians to follow, that if you've received Christ Jesus, the Jesus who is God's image, who is God's wisdom, who is God's mystery, if you have received him, then you're going to have to walk in him. You're going to have to walk in him. Now this begins to get to the other side of what I know you might be thinking right now. I mean, you've heard me just warn against the lie of a private faith. And the skeptical part of your mind knows that there are plenty of people who've been baptized and didn't come to Christ as a response to the call of the Holy Spirit. Their baptism was a thing they did, much like an infant baptism was a thing that your family did, with the idea that salvation can be earned by effort. And if your attempted approach to the throne of Jesus is not in line with the way that the king has prescribed, then everyone who's truly received Christ Jesus, we're going to know it. Jesus is going to know it. You can't fool God, but the rest of those who are in Christ, who have received him, the church, 
oh, we're going to know it too. Someone says, Pastor Dan, I'm missing a few details here. How, how would anyone really know? By the way, what does it mean when he says that if you've received this Christ, so walk in him? Well, I've just been waiting for somebody to ask that this morning. I'm so glad. Now, in our short time together in Colossians, we didn't cover the material at the beginning of this letter. But just like that little Bible reading clue that I offered you about the word therefore, it is a good practice that when the writer in the Bible gives us an imperative, a command, like walk or run or shout, that the writer is probably reinforcing something that's already been said earlier in the book. So if we're going to understand what Paul is saying now when he says, so walk in him, we're going to have to direct our eyes to what he's already told us in Colossians so far. And if we did that, we would find something that would tell us that we're on the right track. You would turn back just to Colossians chapter 1 and fix your eyes upon verse 10. You will see a clue that says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Did you find it? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's our clue that we can find more information about what he's meaning now in chapter 2 and verse 6. Paul tells us that to walk in Christ Jesus, that we would discover that our lives consist of, beginning in verse 10 of chapter 1, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I would warn you upon that reading, do not take a listing of what comes from walking in Christ lightly. Don't take this lightly. Because you know who can do any of that which I just read? Who can do it? Only the person who has been called and has received Christ Jesus, the King. Only the person who has been given the Holy Spirit. See, an unbeliever cannot bear fruit in every good work. Neither can he increase in the knowledge of God. Why is that? Because the unbeliever is not strengthened with all power. They don't have lives that are marked by patience and joy. They don't give thanks to the Father who is in heaven. They cannot because they don't share in any eternal inheritance. In other words, they have no future to look forward to beyond this life. Let me try to explain it in this way. Have you ever watched a squad of soldiers marching? When soldiers are in basic training, they learn how to march together. They do so in unison. And you can imagine then the impressive sound of countless boots as they strike the ground simultaneously as they march together. Hold on to that image for just a moment. Because that's the image of those who have received Christ and are walking in Christ. See, it's Jesus who's leading us. It's Jesus who's directing us. It is Jesus who has synchronized the beating of our hearts and the cadence of our steps for him. And we've been arrayed in white garments, washed in his blood, and you can picture the beauty that is the body of Christ and bearing good, uh, fruit from their good works because of the empowerment of Christ's Spirit among us. You can then also imagine the awful and obvious sign of anyone who is not lockstep with the group. 
Well, that thundering sound of boots that are striking the ground, well, that thundering sound is no more than a, a noisy scuffling that has no distinctiveness to it any longer. Why is that? It's because the squad isn't marching together in unison. They're not united in their direction or pace. Rather, some are walking in an absolutely opposite direction. And they're running along their own way quite merrily the whole time. Now, the directive to walk in Christ, it bids us to live in a manner pleasing to Christ Jesus. Marching to the beat of His drum. And we can only do that when He has begun the work of transforming us. When He has begun the work of delivering us from the realm of darkness to His kingdom of light. And if He's done this in our lives, my friend, we should be finding that our former sinful ways are being put to death. We may have been idolaters before we knew Christ. We may have been fornicators. We may have been drunkards, adulterers, homosexuals, swindlers. The list can go on. Yet who we are after we've received Christ Jesus, that ain't who we are now or who we once were now that, we, now that he has intervened in our lives. That's why Paul, writing to the Romans, asks those who are supposedly saved by Christ, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Of course not. How can we who died to sin, who have been redeemed by Christ, still live in sin? How can we? And my friend, if we have received Christ, we got to walk in Him. That means going to war with sin in our lives. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where sin is present. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you sick of it. Then you can begin to attack it. And someone might say right now, well, you know, Pastor, I can't live in a manner that's pleasing to Jesus. I don't have the strength. I mean, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm capable of doing. And to you, I would simply say this, that that all may be true, but don't underestimate the power of God. And do not underestimate His active involvement in your life. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, if you've received Christ Jesus and you are walking in Him, you are doing so because God has taken the initiative to root you in Him. And for some of you, those roots, they run really deep and they were planted long ago. Praise God. Yet for others of us, that's not the case. And yet, don't be mistaken. Friend, you're not here by accident. You may feel like you've been drugged here by a parent or a friend. You may have never, ever imagined yourself sitting in a worship service at First Baptist Church. Yet here you are. No matter the circumstances, I need to make you aware that there's a God who is seeking to save you and a God who is patiently waiting for the seed of the gospel to find fertile soil and take root in your life. And at times we talk about laying down roots, and when we do, it's with this idea that we're going to settle down in a place and we're going to become established. I wonder right now, I ask you this, where are you laying roots down? Where are you established? 
And please know I'm not asking if you reside or plan to reside in Divine Texas until your last day. I'm asking, have you laid roots in Christ? Have you, have you laid roots in the one who is the maker of heaven and earth? Because there's an implication that follows the roots that have been laid down in Christ. It's that if you're rooted in Christ Jesus, it means that he has started a good work in you. And that he's going to build you up in him. He's going to continue to transform you so that your sinful ways are put more and more to death. Or as scripture teaches elsewhere, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know this, every workman takes pride in a project that's completed and a project that's well done. And I thought about this recently when I visited the site of a, of a new house that my friend is building. I looked at it and I saw that a foundation had been poured and that the walls had been erected. There was plumbing and, and wiring installed. But the structure that I walked through still wasn't a house. It needed finishers. And without the woodworkers, without the cabinet makers, without the tile layers, without the painters, the building was incomplete. And if you're not in Christ, if you've not received him, I've got to ask you to take a step back. Survey the life that you're living. Take a look upon the workmanship of the life that your hands have produced. And what you'll find is that it is but a shell of what it might be with Jesus Christ in it. And it will only ever be a shell because you need a finisher. See, we depend upon the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that gives to us, that Christ gives to us when we come to faith in Him. The Holy Spirit is our seal in Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit who will actively continue to work in our lives until the one who began the transformation by rooting us in Him finishes it. And that can only happen by trusting and obeying Jesus, the one who is the author and finisher or or perfecter of our faith. It's the one to whom we are being conformed. Imagine your life in the hands of Christ Jesus, that son of a carpenter of Nazareth. Imagine him chiseling and sanding and working away at your life, molding you into the beautiful masterpiece that you can only be when you are in his hands that will one day perfectly reveal the glory of God. Your job and my job is to be in and remain in fellowship with Christ Jesus. To remain in fellowship with his body. To stay or to focus all our being, all our heart, all our mind, all our soul upon Christ Jesus and his kingdom. And as you've received Christ Jesus, you have been identified with the king who saved you for his glory. And so then you count it your life's joy and aim to walk in Him. In doing so, you surrender all your thoughts, all your words, all your actions fully unto Jesus. My friend, if you've received Christ, I want to remind you that with each day of life that is given to you, that at the start of each day, you start each day from God's mercy. 
You start each day from God's grace. You start each day from God's perfect love. You don't start the day seeking to earn those things. You start from those things. Give thanks. Give thanks if you've received Christ Jesus. Give thanks if you have been and are being transformed by his grace. Give thanks that you are finding joy in God's glory revealed in your life. Do not be satisfied with anything less. Sometimes there are Christian books that can come alongside us to help us as we walk in Christ. Especially when aspects of walking in Christ become really difficult or really challenging for us. And if you've ever heard of the book called Pilgrim's Progress, you would remember that it is a fictional story about a man named Christian Pilgrim that records uh, the story of his conversion all the way through uh, his, his entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And similar to Pilgrim's Progress is a book that's titled Hind's Feet in High Places. Hind, Hind's Feet in High Places. I suggest that you pick up either or both if you can. And I think some of the groups that have been meeting would be greatly benefited from taking up one of these as a study. But the main character in Hind's Feet is a female whose name is Much Afraid. And she faces many challenges after her coming to faith in Christ. And as she goes along life's journey following the Good Shepherd, well, she, we might say that she picks up some bumps and bruises along the way. She finds herself at a place where she is ready to give up. And as she nears her breaking point, Jesus intervenes in her life once more in this way. And he says to her, much afraid, don't you know by now that I never think of you as you are now? But as you will be when I have brought you into the kingdom of love and washed you from all the stains and defilements of the journey. If I come behind you and notice that you're finding the way especially difficult and are suffering from slips and falls, it only makes me think of what you will be like when you're with me, leaping and skipping on the high places. Friends, I offer this as an encouragement to you. See, in saving you, Jesus would not answer the question about who you are in any other way than what he is making you to be when you join him in glory. Think about that. That's how Jesus sees you. Jesus doesn't see your slips and your falls when you walk in him. He sees the joy that you and all creation will have because of the glory he has won in and through his cross. Who are you? Who are you? What would Jesus answer to that question about you? See, if you cannot answer confidently and say that you're walking down the path that Jesus has laid out before you, then my friend, the most loving thing that I can tell you right now is to repent of your sin and turn to Christ. Come to the foot of his cross and find forgiveness and mercy and peace and love that you cannot even begin to fathom. Turn to him. Turn to him. Give your life to him. Receive him. And I would challenge each of us, after you've heard this teaching, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, taught abounding in thanksgiving. If you have received Christ, you know 
that where sin is present in your life, you need to confess that to the Lord. You need to confess that to him. And you need to ask him to help you to put sin to death in your life. You need to ask him to grant you victory over that sin. Now, dying to self is not meant to be comfortable. But that's what we're talking about right now. None of this is meant to be comfortable. But neither was the cross that Jesus went through for us. And as he hung suspended between heaven and earth, the Son of Man was glorified. And as the Spirit of the living God works to conform you to the image of Christ Jesus, you're going to find joy in God's glory that is revealed in your life. Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.